الحمد لله رب العالمين له الحمد الحسن والثناء الجميل واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان سيدنا ونبينا محمد صلى الله عليه وعلى اله واصحابه والتابعين لهم باحسان الى يوم الدين اما بعد ان شاء الله تعالى today we're going to start the explanation of the kitab صفه صلاه النبي من التكبير الى التسليم كانك تراها and the kitab is written by الشيخ محمد ناصر الدين الالباني رحمه الله what I want to say is that Sheikh Al-Albani, Rahimahullah, his biography and who he is, inshallah ta'ala, due to the time, um, we won't be able to go through it. So inshallah ta'ala, there are books written on his life, English and in Arabic, so you can inshallah ta'ala look it up and read his biography. The Sheikh has become famous, or he's famous and he's well known, and finding his biography wouldn't be very hard for you inshallah ta'ala. So I encourage you all to try to read his biography because learning the biography of the great scholars of Islam it increases your aspiration and your passion and your love for knowledge and for people of knowledge. And also reading Sheikh Al-Albani's biography specifically is really worthy uh, of everyone's time. And it will benefit you because the Sheikh, he lived in this era that we're living in. With the way the world is, some people might think to themselves, that um, Al-Imam Al-Bukhari lived at a good time, Muslim, he lived at a good time, Al-Imam Abu Dawood and Tirmidhi and Ibn Majah, they lived at a good time. But Shaykh Al-Albani, Rahimahullah, he lived at this time with us, Rahimahullah. So uh, he achieved what he achieved and he became known for the science of hadith. So reading his biography would increase the aspiration for you and I encourage you all to inshallah ta'ala read it, bi-idhnillahi, bi-idhnillahi al-kareem. Shaykh Al-Albani, he wrote three books in Sifat Salat al-Nabi. And Sifat Salat al-Nabi is the description of how the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam prayed minat takbiri from the Allahu Akbar ila taslimi to the Salaamu Alaikum. The author called it ka'annaka taraha as you can see it. As you can see it. And he wrote three books in it. The first book is referred to Asl, Al-Asl. Or it's also referred to as Al-Kabir, the big one. And it's three volumes. It is three, three volumes. Uh, that's the first one. And it was recently published. Number two is the one that we're going to be teaching today, which is the middle one. The, the, the one I just mentioned, is, is the first one is the biggest one. It's three volumes. Yeah, and the Sheikh, he went into details and discussions and authentications and there's a lot more in there. So that's the biggest one. Okay. The second one is Al-Awsat, the middle one. And it is the one that we're going to go through, inshallah ta'ala. It is the one that when the scholars say, Sifa Salat al-Nabi, majority of the times they're referring to that one. That's the one that they are, they are referring, they are referring uh, to. And there's another one, a small one, it's called Talkhisu Sifat Salat al-Nabi. It's a very summarized version. And um, there are things in the Talkhis Sifat Salat al-Nabi which the Shaykh Rahimahullah speaks about that he doesn't speak about in the other book, the other books. So it's also um, beneficial to inshallah ta'ala read the small one as well. And it's also worthy to read the big one, three volume one. Yeah, and one will not suffice you from the other. There are things he mentioned in each one that is not in the other one. Okay, so I would encourage you to read it, inshallah ta'ala. We are going to do the, um, the middle one, al-awsat. That's the one that we're going to be taking, inshallah, inshallah ta'ala. Naam. The author, rahimahullah, he started in the muqaddimah of his uh, kitab by mentioning that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said to the messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, وَأَنزَلْنَا إِلَيْكَ الذِّكْرَ لِتُبَيِّنَ لِلنَّاسِ مَا نُزِّلَ إِلَيْهِمْ And we have sent down to you, Muhammad, the uh, Qur'an. We sent it down to you so you explain it to the people what is sent on them and what has been sent for them. يعني, the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's wadifa, the role of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So this is point number one. Point number one. The author is mentioning that the role of the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is to convey the Qur'an to the people and explain it to them. To explain it to them. Point number two that the author, Rahimahullah, mentions is that 
the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he carried out this task that he was given, which is to convey to the people what the Qur'an wants from them. And the Qur'an said to the people, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ Established a prayer. And the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, he stood up to show the people how to pray the Salah. And he even Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, to show them how to pray and to fulfill this ayah, وَأَقِيمُ الصَّلَاةِ The Messenger, he went on the pulpit, Alayhi Salatu Wasallam. He stood up, he did ruku', he did qiyam, and he said to them, إِنَّمَا صَنَعْتُ هَذَا I did this, the reason why I have done this, so that you may follow me and learn my prayer. لِتَأْتَمُّوا بِي وَلِتَعَلَّمُوا صَلَاتِي So you can learn my prayer. The third point that the author, rahimahullah, mentions is, we are obliged, and it's obligatory for us to follow the Messenger وسلم, in the way that he prayed. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he said, صَلُّوا كَمَا رَأَيْتُمُونِ أُصَلِّي Pray the way you have seen me pray. So that's the third point that the author rahimahullah mentioned. The fourth point that the author rahimahullah mentioned was وَبَشَّرَ مَنْ صَلَّاهَا And the Prophet ﷺ, he gave glad tidings to the one who praised the salah in the way that he وسلم, prayed. And he mentioned the famous hadith of Ubadat ibn Sabit. Khamsu, five, uh, five prayers which Allah Almighty has ordained upon the creation. Anyone who performs the ablution well, and anyone who prays the salah on time, and anyone who completes the bowing, and the prostrating, and the humility, he has been guaranteed from Allah Azza wa Jalla that that person, it is a guarantee from Allah that Allah will forgive you for your sins and your shortcoming, and anyone who doesn't do it, he misses the salah in the way that the Messenger did it. He doesn't do the ruku' properly and the sujood properly and the khushu' properly. This person is not guaranteed anything. If Allah wants, He will forgive you. And if He wants, He will punish you. Subhanahu wa ta'ala. Then the author, rahimahullah, the fifth point he moves on to uh, and his companions. May Allah send salutation on the Messenger's companions. Who are they? They transmitted to us. They passed on to us how the Messenger وسلم, worshipped Allah, how he prayed, what he said in the Salah. And um, they made this the madhab. They made this the school of thought. Yani the ibadah is based on how the Messenger وسلم, did it. The author then mentioned in the sixth point that he read a book called At-Targhib Wa-Targhib by Al-Imam Al-Mundiri. The Kitab At-Targhib Wa-Targhib is on Fadail Al-A'mal, righteous deeds, written by Al-Imam Al-Mundiri, rather from one of the best books in written in this field. And it is also like the Kitab Riyad Al-Salihin, Min Kalami Sayyidi Al-Mursaleen, written by Al-Imam Abu Zakariya Al-Nawawi, Rahimahullah. They are very similar. They both deal with Al-A'mal Al-Saliha. I'm a fadailu al-a'mal, righteous deeds. So the Shaykh Rahimullah, he actually done authentication on that book. Yani he took out all the weak narrations out of the book. And so there is a sahih targhib wa tarib and a da'if targhib wa tarib by Imam al-Mundirib that Shaykh al-Albani did. So anyway, Shaykh al-Albani mentioned that he was teaching Kitab al-Salah from the book at targhib wa tarib because targhib wa tarib has many books inside it. And he was teaching the Kitab al-Salah and he mentioned that he was teaching it to ala ba'di ikhwanina salafiyin that I was teaching it to some of our Salafi brothers. So the Shaykh rahimahullah, he was very staunch on that term as Salafi and he used to believe that it's obligatory to call yourself a Salafi. Shaykh Nasir used to believe rahimahullah rahmatan wasi'a. So he was teaching that book for 40 years. For four years, sorry. And he said, it became clear to me. It became clear to me, he said, the station and the position that the Salah has in Islam and the place Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed for the one who if he established a prayer, he does the prayer properly and without increasing anything and decreasing anything from it. And then the author rahimahullah mentioned the famous hadith, إِنَّ الْعَبْدَ لَيُصَلِّيَ الصَّلَاةَ The person prays a prayer. And مَا يُكْتَبُ لَهُ مِنْهَا إِلَّا عُشُرُهَا there's, oh, there's nothing written for, for, uh, down for them except a tenth of the prayer. Ninth, eighth, seventh, sixth, fifth quarter, third or half of it. Based on how the person prays it, your salah is going to be based on that percentage. That ratio is what's going to be given uh, to you. Then the author, rahimahullah, the next point, he mentioned, what number are we on? 
What number? Six. Now I'm seventh one. The, the author, rahimahullah, he then mentioned that there is no way to pray the salah in the way that we get the reward, the best reward for it, except through um, the ahadiths of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It is looking at the ahadiths, studying the ahadiths of the Prophet And then the Shaykh rahimahullah, he criticized a people who only take a particular madhab and they blind follow that madhab. And if the evidence comes to them, they do not want to accept it because they believe that everything that's in their madhab is all of that which the Prophet did. And the author said, no, some madhabs might have an evidence that is not necessarily present in another madhab. So whenever the truth reaches you, you accept it and you make that your madhab. Then the Shaykh rahimahullah, he mentioned the eighth point. The Shaykh Rahimahullah, he mentions that the scholars of hadith, the early scholars of hadith, before him, before I even came, Shaykh Albani uh, is pointing out, before even he came, the scholars of hadith, may Allah reward them, they worked on authenticating and weakening narrations regarding uh, fiqh issues. Yani scholars, they looked at fiqh books and they mentioned the, narrat- the narrations that are mentioned in there, they weakened and they authenticated it. And he gave an example of the kitab Al-Inaya Bima'rifat Ahadith Al-Hidayah and also the kitab Al-Turuq Wal-Wasail Fi Takhriji Ahadith Al-Khulasat Al-Dala'il Both of which are written by Abdul Qadir bin Muhammad Al-Qurashi Al-Hanafi Both of those books, they went and they authenticated books of the Hanafi Madhab Also the famous kitab Nasb Al-Raya written by Al-Zayla'i, Hafid Al-Zayla'i Nasb Al-Raya Ahadith Al-Hidayah Hadith Al-Hidayah written by Al-Marghinani the Hanafi scholar, Rafi'i came to that book and he authenticated the hadiths that are mentioned in them. Same was done by uh, Ibn Hajar al-Asqalaniyu. Ibn Hajar al-Asqalaniyu, he came to the kitab Sharh al-Kabir by al-Rafi'i, Abu al-Qasim al-Rafi'i, and he authenticated the narrations in there. Uh, before him, his teacher did it, Ibn Mulaqin, um, but what he did was he uh, summarized the kitab of Ibn Mulaqin, he authenticated the hadiths that are in there. So the Sheikh is talking about the fiqh issues have to be based on authentic hadith. You can't just say, I'm studying fiqh and I, a hadith have to be sahih. Ah. The author, rahimahullah. And last, the tenth point, the author then says, the reason why I authored, the reason why I authored uh, in this field, Sifat Salat al-Nabi, is maybe I can be from the people who get the reward of the Prophet ﷺ statement, whoever calls to guidance has the reward similar of the one who follows with nothing being reduced from the reward. So I want to get reward for guiding all the people to how to pray the Salah of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Those are the 10 points that the author Rahimahullah mentioned. Naam. The author Rahimahullah, he now speaks about Sababu Ta'leef Al-Kitabi. He talks about reason of authorship. He says Rahimahullah, I had not come across a comprehensive book covering this topic. He hasn't come across it Rahimahullah. And he said, I felt obliged to produce a book which collected uh, together as many features of the Prophet's prayer from the takbir to the taslim as possible for the benefit of my Muslim brothers who wish to follow the guidance of the Prophet in their worship such that it would be easy for anyone who truly loved the Messenger to use this book to fulfill his command pray as you have seen me pray so the first reason why the author rahimahullah he wrote the book is because he did not come across anyone who has written a comprehensive book Covering this topic. Which topic? The description of the Prophet's prayer. So the th- Shaykh Rahimahullah, he said, I felt it's obligatory on me to do it. And I stand up and I do it. And my brothers who love to follow the Messenger, who love to do the Sunnah of the Messenger Sallallahu they will be able to follow the Hadith. Sallu kama usalli. Pray the way you see me pray. They will be able to follow the Hadith. So the Shaykh said, Rahimahullah, I did it for that reason. That's number one. It's the first reason. The author then, he mentions, I embarked, second point that he mentions here is, uh, in this chapter, is, he said, I embarked on a difficult task. So he mentions that this is something very hard that he took on. He researched the relevant ahadith from the various sources of hadith. The book in your hand being the uh, result of all of it, he says. That the book that we have now uh, in our presence is a kitab that the Sheikh worked very, very hard to bring together. It may look very small to you, but it was effort of the Shaykh Rahimahullah on his side. Why was it very hard for him? Uh, um, why was it something that the Shaykh found very difficult and very hard? 
He said, فَكَانَ مِنْ ذَلِكَ هَذَا الْكِتَابِ الَّذِي بَيْنَ يَدَيْكَ وَقَدْ اشْتَرَطْتُ عَلَى نَفْسِي He said, the reason, which is point number three, point number three, which is the reason why it was very difficult for the Shaykh is, he said, I condition that I'm not going to mention in my book إِلَّا مَا ثَبَتَ سَنَدُهُ Except that which is chain of narration is authentic. And this is going to be based upon قَوَاعِدُ الْحَدِيثِ الشَّرِيفِ وَأُصُولُهُ وَضَرَبْتُ صَفْحًا عَنْ كُلِّ مَا تَفَرَّدِ بِهِ مَجْهُولٌ أَوْ ضَعِيف The Shaykh said, I based this book on all of the ahadiths which its chains are authentic. And he authenticated it based on the, um, uh, based on the um, qawaid, the principles of the scholars of hadith. And he said, I'm not going to mention the narration of anyone who is uh, unknown or a person who is weak. Naam. Whether it be in the forms in which the prayer is prayed or whether it be uh, in the adhkar. The Shaykh said, I'm not going to mention it. I'm going to leave that off. Also, the Shaykh rahimahullah, is of the opinion, which is point number four. The Shaykh is of the opinion that you can't act upon weak narrations in fadailul a'mal. You can't. And the Shaykh rahimahullah, he used the evidence of the ayah لا يغني من الحق شيئا that the dhan the dhan speculation uh, is of no use against the truth so using speculation is of no good it's no value and the famous hadith of the Prophet ﷺ where he said beware of suspicion about speculation beware of it for truly speculation is the most false of speech so if the Prophet ﷺ did not allow for the people to say that which is suspicious. Are they allowed to act upon it? So the Sheikh is saying, a hadith which are da'if are not allowed to be acted upon. Why? Because the hadith which are da'if are based upon speculation. And they, they're based upon marjuh, not even rajih. It's based on marjuh. It is based upon a low speculation. And are you allowed to act upon speculation in the religion? Are you even allowed to narrate that which is based on speculation? He's saying no. Because Allah said, وَلَا يُغْنِي مِنَ الْحَقِّ شَيْئًا And the hadith of the Prophet where he said, stay away from a suspicion and speculation. Stay away from it. The hadith which are da'if are based on speculation. Maybe the Prophet might have said it. Maybe. Okay? So he said, I avoided that. Okay? Also, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he said, I compiled the book as two texts. There's two texts in the book. There's a top and the bottom. The top is a metan, the wording of the Shaykh, uh, the hadith. And the bottom, he wrote the authentication and the discussion of whether the hadith is sahih or ba'if and issues related to it. He mentioned that. Then the author, Rahimahullah, mentioned what he named his book. He said, I named my book... Uh, the author, Rahimahullah, he speaks about the methodology of the book. The author says, since the proposal, the purpose, sorry, since the purpose of this book is to convey the guidance of the Prophet وسلم, and regarding the Messenger prayer, then it was it is known by necessity that I would not limit myself to a particular madhab, he says. So for the reasons mentioned previously. He says, I would not uh, give whatsoever uh, that which is authentic. And I'm only going to mention that which is authentically transmitted from the Messenger. So the first point that the author is saying is that my book is not based upon a madhab. Number point number one. In this chapter, the author is saying that this kitab is not based on a particular madhab. My book is based upon that which he believes, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, what he believes to be authentically transmitted from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he's saying this way, which is to stick to the ahadith of the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, that which is authentic, he said he, it is madhabul muhaddithina. It is the way of the scholars of hadith. Qadiman wa haditha. The old and the recent scholars. Waqad ahsana man qala. And then he said, excellent saying goes by the one who said, Ahlul Hadithi hum, 
أهل الحديث هم أهل النبي وإن لم يصحبوا نفسه أنفاسه صحبوا The people of hadith are the people of the messenger If they did not meet the messenger sallallahu physically Then they met the messenger sallallahu through the, his statements The scholars of hadith They are the prophet's people If they did not live with him And they did not see him And they didn't reside with him And they were not there with him They were lacking with him Through what? Through all of his movements And his statements Because they lived with his works His statements I mean that's how the Ahlul Hadith are And that's a powerful statement When you spend your life Studying the Ahadith of the Prophet Sallallahu You become Ahlul Ahlul Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam The Prophet's people You become the Prophet's people Even if you didn't physically live with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam And you're not physically the Prophet's people You are through living uh, his works So the Shaykh Rahimahullah he mentions this kitab is going to be very comprehensive. Um, and it's going to, this is the next point, second point, second point. Is that this book, in it, there's going to be what has been dispersed in books. And the Sheikh brought it out. He summarized, he took it all from all those books and he brought it in one place for you. Uh, so you don't have to go to all of the references that he goes through to authenticate the hadith. It's all here. He brought it for you. Together, rahimahullah. And then he says, بِمَا لَا يَجْمَعُ مَا فِيهِ مِنَ الْحَقِّ أَيِّ كِتَابٍ أَوْ مَذْهَبٍ وَسَكُونُ الْعَامِلُ بِهِ إِنْ شَاءَ اللَّهُ تَعَالَى مِمَّنْ قَدْ هَدَهُ اللَّهُ And he then mentions that the way, if there's اختلاف المذاهب, there are going to be, this is point number three, there are going to be differences within the madahibs. Imam Ahmed might say something, Imam Shafi'i might say something, Imam Abu Hanifa might say something, Imam Ahmed might say something. The madahibs might differ amongst themselves. The Shaykh Rahimahullah, he said, I'm going to act upon that which Allah commanded us in the Quran, which is, um, when you differ amongst yourselves, which is the straight path, the Quran and the Sunnah, holding on to the Sunnah, which is, the author then Rahimahullah mentioned that um, people are not going to be pleased with you. Because he knows that he's going to go against all the madahibs sometimes, and in, uh, in issues. Sometimes he might go against the Hanafi, Sometimes he might go against Safi'i, sometimes he might go against the Malikiyah, sometimes he might go against the Hanabila. And the Sheikh is going to go against many people. He's not going to please the people of Madhabs, especially those who are fanatic towards Madhabs. They're not going to love what the Sheikh is doing. So the Sheikh is trying to talk to himself and others as well, trying to tell them a very powerful lesson, which is the people are never going to be pleased with you. He said, I know, I know that trying to please the people. Uh, it's not something that is um, a goal you can reach. And then he mentioned the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ, He who um, uh, pleases the people by angering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, then Allah will entrust you to the people. Allah will forsake you. And then let the people take care of you now. Can the people take care of you? No. Then don't please the people over Allah. Okay? So please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then he mentioned the statement of the poet, وَلَسْتُ بِنَاجٍ مِنْ مَقَالَةِ طَاعِنٍ وَلَوْ كُنْتُ فِي غَارٍ عَلَى وَلَوْ كُنْتُ فِي غَارٍ عَلَى جَبْلِ وَعْرٍ وَمِنْ الَّذِي يَنْجُو مِنَ النَّاسِ سَالِمًا وَلَوْ غَابَ عَنْهَا بَيْنَ خَافِيَتَيْنَ السِّرِينَ No one could I ever, the poet is saying, وَلَسْتُ بِنَاجٍ Nor could I ever escape from abuse. مِنْ مَقَالَةِ طَاعِنٍ Someone who is doing ta'an on me, slandering me, abusing me in his statements. I can never escape from him. Even if I were in a cave in a rigged mountain, I wouldn't be able to. I ask you, he says, who is the one that's going to be safe from the people? Who's ever going to be unharmed by the people? Even if he hides behind the eagle's wings, even if he hides behind it, He's in the air. He's not in the sight of the people. He's up in the air, behind the eagle wings, hiding from the people. They still will find a way to just say things about you. People will always find something to say. So you'll never be safe from the people. So don't worry about the people. Don't, confuse, don't concern yourself with what the people have to say and what they are saying. Turn away from that. Turn away to Allah Ta'ala. Hold on to this religion with your mawlatid. Hold on to the sunnah sahiha The sunnah from the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Hold on to the Quran. Understand the Quran and the Sunnah, how the early generation understood it. That's the path you want to die on. 
Uh, even if the people all oppose you, you are the jama'ah, even if you're by yourself. That's what the author is trying to say, rahimahullah. And then he said, فحسبي. Enough is for me, that I believe with conviction, Shaykh Albani is saying this, that this is the most upright way. Uh, the upright way is what? Quran, That's the upright way, even if it angers everybody. Let them all be angry. That's the upright way. You see? The early generation followed this path, the Sheikh is saying. Now the Sheikh is going to another point, which is that this is the way of the Imams that they claim to follow. Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, Al-Imam Malik, Al-Imam Shafi'i, Al-Imam Ahmed, they gave precedence to the statement of Allah and His Messenger over everybody else. So the same way that the Imams did that, we should also do the same. That's what the Sheikh Rahimullah is trying to say in this particular point. Now he goes into the statements of each of the Imams in the Madahibs. So we're going to go through the Madhabs, Imam Abu Hanif, what he said, Imam Malik, what he said, Imam Ahmed, what he said, Imam, each Imam, what they said. And these four Imams have become what the Ummah follow today. So now your question, the question that's going to be asked to you, Ayyuhal Hanafi, Ayyuhal Maliki, Ayyuhal Shafi'i, Ayyuhal Hanbali, this is the question that's going to be posed to you. If your Imam said, follow the Quran and the Sunnah and, uh, and the Hadith which are Sahihah, then why have you chosen not to follow? Why have you chosen not to follow your Imam in that statement? Uh, that's important. Second question, is you following Hadith which is Sahih? Is you following a Hadith which is Sahih? Is that you following your Madhab? Yes. If Imam Shafi'i said to me that when the Quran and the Sunnah come, Reject my statement, abandon my statement, go to the Quran and the Sunnah. If Shafi'i said that, me doing that, meaning going to the Quran and the Sunnah, I am following Imam Shafi'i. Are we all together? Because Imam Muhammad have said this to me. Okay? Naam. So now we're going to go into the statements. Naam. <clears throat> so, my beloved brothers and sisters, We've just taken the statements that Shaykh Al-Albani rahimahullah brought regarding the uh, sayings of the Imams regarding following the Sunnah and ignoring their views con which con are contradictory to the Quran and the Sunnah. And the author rahimahullah, he brought ayat from the Quran or he brought an ayah from the Quran. Qawlu ta'ala ittabi'u follow ma unzila ilaykum min rabbikum. Follow what has come to you from your Lord. وَلَا تَتَّبِعُوا And do not follow. مِن دُونِهِ أَوْلِيَاءَ قَلِيلًا مَا تَذَكَّرُونَ Little do the people. Uh, I'm a little is it you remember of admonition. Now brothers and sisters. Um, this concept of following the madahibs. And... Um, uh, 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 and following the Imatul Madahibs, like Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi'i, and Imam Ahmed, which go against the Quran and the Sunnah in some situations. What I want to say, brothers, is there's extreme in this issue. There is this extreme where Al Jumudul Madhabi, we find some people are fanatic to the Madahibs, extremely fanatic. That's one extreme. And we also have this hurriyatul uh, ijtihad, everyone's a mujtahid, everyone should go to the Quran and the Sunnah. Both extremes are not praiseworthy. So we have an extreme staunchness on the madhahibs, the, the following of the madhabs, and to the extent that the madhahibs are being looked at as though they are the ultimate evidence. And there's, nothing, there's no evidence after it. And we have the other extreme, which is go extreme in. Uh, following the uh, uh, Quran and the Sunnah, even if you're not Ahlul Lidalik. And what I mean by that is that you go to the Quran and the Sunnah when you don't know Arabic, you don't have the ala, so you do independent reasoning, you do ijtihad. This is also another extreme. So there's a couple of things I wanted to mention. And I want you all to write this down, inshallah ta'ala, as it's going to help you. Point number one Al Aslu huwa al Amalu bil Kitabi wa Sunnah. The Asal is to follow the Quran and the Sunnah. That is the asal, and the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he brought the ayats, ayah from the Quran, and there are also other ayats that he pointed out. There are ayats that he pointed out as we go along. The first one is, Follow Allah and His Messenger, uh, and do not follow anyone other than them. Uh, so, follow Allah and His Messenger. Do not follow 
after Allah and His Messenger, awliya, qalilan ma tadakkarun. Also, um, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He mentions in the Qur'an, this Qur'an is what? Hudan lil muttaqina. It's guidance for the believers. Allah also says in another ayah, ittabi'u ma unzila ilayku, uh, sorry, wa in tuti'uhu tahtadu. If they follow you, Muhammad, they are guided. Allah says in another ayah, wa ati'u Allah, wa ati'u Rasul. Obey Allah and obey the Messenger. Yani, so this asal is al-aslu huwa al-amalu bil kitab wa sunnah. That we have to act in accordance to the kitab and the, and the sunnah. That is the asal. And you do not move away from that asal illa lil-adzi. You only move away from the Quran and the sunnah when you don't have the ability. That's what Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah said. And after him, Ibn al-Qayyim said. Ibn al-Qayyim said in his kitab, A'lamu al-Muwakki'in. He said, At-taqreeru kal-maytati la yusaru ilayhi illa inda al-darura. Blind following... It's like dead corpse. It's like eating dead corpse. You can't eat dead corpse unless there's a necessity for it. The taqlid is like the dead corpse. You can only go to bl- uh, blind following when there is what? When there is uh, uh, the, you are unable to understand the Quran and the Sunnah in this situation, you can just blind follow an imam in the thing that he says. So that's the first thing I want you to understand. And that's why Ibn al-Qayyim, after that he... He, 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 he speaks against taqlid, blind following, and um, etc. It's very important. And it's not praiseworthy to say, I'm a muqallid. It's like some people do think. They say that I'm a muqallid and they think it's a praiseworthy thing. The second thing, brothers and sisters, is that um, fiqh between al-taqlid wal-ijtihad. Al-fiqh between al-taqlid wal-ijtihad. Fiqh between al-ijtihad wal-taqlid. What do I mean by that? What I mean is that ijtihad is matlabun shar'iyun. Ijtihad is something that the sharia looks for. The sharia wants ijtihad. But ijtihad is not allowed for a person unless he has the conditions, the prerequisites are in place. So the people always tend to confuse this. They bring you evidences that tell you that the ijtihad is praiseworthy, that the sharia wants ijtihad. They confuse that with Someone who doesn't have the conditions of ijtihad. Yeah, yes, it is matlab shar'i, it is the asal, but you can't do it unless you have the conditions. The taqlid, it is permissible for the ammiyu, the general mass, ijma'an, by unanimous agreement. Yani, ammi, who doesn't know anything, taqlid is permissible for him. This is a unanimously agreed upon issue. It's a consensus amongst the ulama. Ibn Abdul Bar transmitted the consensus in his kitab, Jam'u Bayan al-Ilmi wa Fadli. Um, and also Ibn Taymiyyah mentions the ijma'. So what we say is, Ibn al-Qayyim also mentions it in his A'lam al-Muwakki'in and he also mentions it in his Nuniyyah. So, uh, taqlid is permissible if the person doesn't have the ability. That's, one, that's also a point we need to understand. Ijtihad is praiseworthy. And blind following is blameworthy. Remember that. Keep that in mind that ijtihad is praiseworthy and blind following is blameworthy. And we go to blind following when there is a necessity and we do not go to it unless there is. Point number three. I want you to know inshallah ta'ala because I'm summarizing what the Shaykh al-Ahimullah, the aqwal of the scholars that he brought. The third point is nasu fil fiqhi. The people when it comes to fiqh min haythul jumla ala thalathati aqsam. The people when it comes to fiqh they are categorized into three levels. The first level is al-mujtahidun. Those who are mujtahidun. They look at the delil themselves. Then they strengthen the delil with knowledge that they have. عندهم آلَةُ الْإِجْتِهَادِ They have the instrumental knowledge. They are ahlul الْأَكْمَلِ They are complete in their knowledge. Okay? So, these are the mujtahidun. The second level of people are the muttabi'un. The muttabi'un. The muttabi'un are the ones who know the ahkam in the sharia, but they don't know it by them looking at it directly. That's not how they know it. They know it by looking at the, view, the views of the scholars out there. And they then assess the scholars' evidences. They look at the scholars' evidences. So like Ibn al-Qayyim said this, Ibn Hajar said this, uh, Nawawi said this, uh, Rafi'i said this, uh, Ibn Badran said this, uh, Buhuti said this, Al-Hajawi uh, said this. They look at the aqwal of these great fuqaha and the evidences that they used and they strengthen the view from there. They can't go to the Quran and the Sunnah directly themselves, but what they do is they look at the delil through the istidlal of the ulama. They are called the muttabi'un. They are called... Muttabi'una. 
Um, so the person will say, Ibn Baz gave this fatwa, Sheikh, for example, Ibn Uthaymin gave this fatwa, and I believe Ibn Uthaymin is right, and Ibn Baz is wrong on this issue. Why? Because Ibn Uthaymin's delil is kada wa kada wa kada, and Ibn Baz's delil is kada wa kada wa kada, and the delil between the two, this one is stronger because of this reason, because of this. And he's doing tarjih of the scholar's statement because he's a mutabi'ah, he can understand. He studied usul al-fiqh and whatnot, he can do that. He's a level lower than the mujtahid. The third one is al-muqallid, the blind follower. He doesn't know the ahkam al-shara'i, he doesn't know wajib, he doesn't know halal, he doesn't know haram, he doesn't know any of that. He doesn't know what a delil is, he doesn't know what a istidlal is, he doesn't know wajhul istidlal, he doesn't know any of that. Okay? And sometimes a muqallid can be a person who memorized a text, but doesn't understand anything from that text. He's a muqallid, like a little child who memorized, for example, Zubad ibn Raslan, for example, or he memorized Minhaj of Imam al-Nawi, or Al-Irshad by Ibn Muqri. He memorized, he has it from memory. He is still a he's still a muqallid, this kid is a muqallid, he doesn't know anything, he doesn't understand anything. Ah. Okay? Those are the three types of people. Ibn Abdul Bar mentioned those three types of people in his kitab, Jami'u Bayan al-Ilmi wa Fadli. Also, Ibn al-Qayyim mentions in his kitab, A'lam al-Muqi'in. Now remember this, brothers. Knowing the levels of the people helps you when you're dealing with the people. Especially when you're giving fatwa, especially when you're answering questions. Knowing who the pers- what level that person is is very important. The fourth point I want you to know regarding what the Shaykh Rahimullah here said is لا يسح الاجتهاد إلا بشروطه اجتهاد is not allowed unless the conditions are present. The person has to have what? The con- conditions in place. Okay? If you don't have those conditions, you're not going to be a mujtahid. Okay. Um, if the conditions are in place, and if you want to know what those conditions are, you can go to Irshad al-Fuhul by Shaukani or Rahimahullah. You can go to the Shuruhat of the Jam' al-Jawami' or even Jam' al-Jawami' itself in the Matan is mentioned. If you go to the Kutub al-Usul, Mustasfa Ghazali mentions it. Ibn Qudama mentions in his role. Even Abi Ma'ali al-Jwaini mentions some of the conditions in his, uh, in his kitab, uh, in his al-waraqat. Uh, okay? Lakin Shawkani in Irshad al-Fuhul, he does a very good job. Ibn al-Qayyim also mentions it deeply in his kitab al-Ilam al-Muwakki'in. Ibn Abdul Bar mentions it in Jam'u Bayan al-Ilm wa Fadli. Ibn al-Khatib al-Baghdadi mentions it in his kitab al-Faqih wa al-Mutafaqih. And you find it in all of those references I mentioned. Those conditions that are there. And they mention the evidences for each condition. The fifth point I want you to remember is الموقف من المذاهب الأربعة What position do we take regarding the madahib الأربعة? What position should one take the madahib الأربعة? Brothers and sisters, as a very important topic, the difference between these madahibs has nothing to do with issues of i'tiqad, issues of aqeedah. It doesn't. The khilaf between Al-Imam Abu Hanifa and Shafi'i and Malik and Ahmed Rahimahumullah, may Allah be pleased with all of them, is nothing to do with aqeedah related issues. All of those Imams are min ahli sunnati wal jama'ah. They are immatul Islam. They are salafun salih. They are pious predecessors. The difference is, is based on masail which are amaliyah. Issues of fiqh. Issues of what? Fiqh. It's got nothing to do with it. Walidalika, all of these four madahibs are against the Asha'ir and the Maturidi and the Mu'tazila and all of the deviated groups. They are against it. ولذلك ابن عبد البر رحمه الله رحمة واسعة in his kitab جامع بيان العلم وفضله he brought a consensus he brought an إجماع that عدم الشهادة المتكلمين that the متكلمين who are the متكلمين they're the معتزلة they're the شاعرة they're the ماتريدية they're all of these groups they are not considered to be and they are not to be taken as witness their إجماع is not considered an إجماع their خلاف is not considered أي خلاف they're not in the discussion, okay? Ibn Abdul Bar brings an ijma' in this issue, okay? And he mentions that the Asha'ira and the Maturidiyah and these groups are not laysu min ahl sunnah They're not from ahl sorry, they're not from the ulama. The Asha'ira are not from ahl al-ilm. They are not considered, the Mu'tazili is not considered from the, sorry, uh, Mu'tazili is not considered from the ulama. The Asha'ira are not considered from the ulama. The Maturidi are not considered from the ulama. Ibn Abdul Bar rahimahullah mentions it. Ibn Khwayzim Mindad, he mentions that the Asha'ira specifically by name, he says that they're not from the ulama. Okay? So that is important that you understand, inshallah ta'ala, the issue. 
So don't get people using these madhabs to spread the filthy aqidah. Yani a Mu'tazili, or more like a Ash'ari, using the Maliki madhab to spread his Ash'ariyah. La, 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 la. Al-Imam Malik was far from the Ash'ara, and it was far from the Mutakallimin. Okay? Al-Imam Shafi'i is also far from these people. And also Al-Imam Ahmed is far from these people. And also Al-Imam Malik is far from, the, uh, Al-Imam Ahmed is far from these people. And also Al-Imam Abu Hanifa, rahimahumullah. May Allah be pleased with all of them. So don't accept that. Okay? Do not uh, accept that. Also, another point that I want to mention when it comes to this point where what position do we ca- take regarding the Madahibul Arba'a? This view that the Madahibul Arba'a, if they all agree on, us on something, it means that this is an ijma' and it's a hujjah and that we all have to take, is also something that is not right. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah in his Minhaj al-Sunnah Nabawiyyah, he says that the ijma' is that and the ijma'ul madahibul arba'a laysa hujjah. The four Imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Malik, Imam Shafi, and Imam Ahmed, four of them, if they unanimously agree on something, it doesn't mean this is a hujjah. The truth can sometimes be in other than them four. It could be. It's a possibility. Why? Because the madahibs were not only them. There's the madhab that are Imam Sufyan al-Thawri. And it's also cre- it's still mentioned. Some of the issues of Imam Sufyan al-Thawri is still mentioned in the books. Ibn Jarir al-Tabari had a madhab. Uh, these scholars, they had madahibs. Naam. And we're not going to go into the issue of uh, other Zahiriya considered their Khilaf considered Khilaf or their, um, their Ijma' considered an Ijma'. Also, another thing that I want to mention in this point as well is that You are allowed to attribute yourself to these Madahibs. You can say, um, for example, Mi Abdurrahman Hassan al Shafi'i. I can say that. There's nothing wrong with that. It is nothing wrong with that. Shaykh al-Islam Taymiyyah benefited us this issue in his Majmu' al-Fatawa that it is permissible to attribute yourself to a madhab and it's like attributing yourself to a particular tribe or a land. Okay? But it doesn't mean that I'm fanatic to these imams. And we have great scholars of Islam like Ibn Rajab al-Hanbali accepting it. We have also Imam Ibn Abi al-Izz al-Hanafi accepting it. We have Ibn al-Qayyim rahimahullah accepting it. We have other great scholars who are considered the muhaqqiqun. They all saying that there's no problem in attributing yourself to a madhab as long as you're not fanatic towards it as long as you're not fanatic uh, towards it so those are the points I wanted to mention inshallah ta'ala and that is what the Sheikh's kalam revolves around bi'idhnillahi al-kareem um, and you can also just read what the author rahimahullah brought regarding the statements of each imam like imam Abu Hanifa what he said you can inshallah ta'ala read it yourself and what imam Malik said and Shafi'i and Ahmad said all of it is translated for you in English. You can read it yourself. But those points are what I want you to keep with you, inshallah ta'ala. So the author, rahimahullah, his statements here revolves around what we mentioned, those principles and those qawaid that we mentioned regarding following the Qur'an and the sunnah and that being the asal. And ijtihad is not for everybody to do ijtihad. And that is playing with the deen once you say that ijtihad is just open like that. And we also do not accept Jumudul Madhabi, this stiffness on madhabs, that everything the madhab says is what we give the fatwa on and nothing other than that. Uh, we don't want to do ifrad or with tafrid, extreme both ways, extreme in exaggeration, extreme in negligence. So um, the, the middle path, we mentioned it, these madhabs are used to understand the Quran and the Sunnah. But when the person becomes a mujtahid and he has reached that level of ijtihad, then that person is not allowed to blind follow anyone. He's not allowed to blind follow anyone. The author, rahimahullah, um, the author, rahimahullah, here he started the book by speaking about facing the Kaaba, facing the Kaaba, and he mentioned that the Messenger, sallallahu alaihi wasallam, stood for prayer. He would face the Kaaba in both obligatory and voluntary prayers, and he would. And he ordered وسلم, to the one who, pray, who prayed badly, when you stand for the prayer, perform ablution perfectly, then face the qibla and say takbir. The author here, he speaks about istiqbalul qibla, facing the qibla. In this chapter, there are two Quranic evidences that are mentioned by the Shaykh, and there are, the author mentioned, 22 evidences from the Sunnah. 22 evidences 
but he emerged them so much, the wordings and everything, he put it together, the Sheikh. So, the two evidences are The ayah is in 114, Surah Al-Baqarah. Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 114 is the first evidence that the author used. The second evidence that the author, Rahimahullah, used is وَمِنْ حَيْثُ خَرَجْتَ فَوَلِّ وَجْهَكَ شَطْرَ الْمَسْجِدِ الْحَرَامِ وَحَيْثُ مَا كُنْتُمْ فَوَلُّوا وُجُوهَكُمْ شَطْرَةِ The ayahs in Surah Al-Baqarah, Ayah 150. So those two ayats are mentioned by the Shaykh, Rahimahullah. Both of those ayats are mentioned. Um, now, the question here is, um, the facing of the Qibla is divided into two brothers. The first one is, istiqbalu jihat al-Ka'ba, facing towards the direction of the Ka'ba, and that is what the Messenger sallallahu used to do when he was in Medina. Medina was praying towards the direction of the Ka'ba. But when he was in Mecca, he was what? He was facing Ainul Ka'ba, the Ka'ba itself he was facing. So there's Jihatul Ka'ba and Ainul Ka'ba. Jihatul Ka'ba means what? The direction of where Mecca is. We pray towards the direction of where Mecca is today. And that's what the Messenger used to do in Medina, and that's what we will do in any other country. But if you're there in the Haram, in the Ka'ba, okay, or you're in Mecca, you're going to pray what? You're going to pray towards Ainul Ka'ba. Okay, you're going to pray towards the uh, Ka'ba itself. That is what you have to understand. Also, the, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he mentioned uh, a man by the name of Al-Musi'u Salatahu. Al-Musi'u Salatahu is the prayer of the one who prayed badly. You tend to see that word a lot. One who prayed badly. One who prayed badly. It's going to be repeated. And this is referring to a companion whose name is called Khalad ibn Rafi' al-Zuraqi. Khalad ibn Rafi' al-Zuraqi. As Ibn Hajar mentions in his Kitab al-Isaba, Fi Tamiz al-Sahaba. This man, he entered into the masjid, he came into the masjid, and the Prophet was sitting with his companions, the man prayed two rak'ah, and then he didn't pray properly. And the Messenger he said to him, Irja' fasalli fa'innaka lam tusalli. Go back and pray, you haven't prayed. The man went and he prayed and he came back and he said, Salaamu alaykum. And the Prophet said, Irja' fasalli fa'innaka lam tusalli. Go back and pray. The man went and prayed. The Prophet said, Third time when the Prophet said to him, go back and pray again, the man, he said, O oh, Messenger of Allah, وَالَّذِي بَعَثَكَ بِالْحَقِّ نَبِيًّا I swear by the Lord who sent you out as a messenger, as a Prophet of Allah, I can't pray better than this, can you teach me? So the Messenger وسلم, taught him the Salah, and that is one of the longest hadiths that teach us how to pray. So we're going to refer back to that hadith a lot. So remember it, it's called Hadithu Al-Musi'u Salatahu. It's the hadith or the salah of the one who prayed badly. So you can hear that a lot. Um, the Shaykh Rahimahullah, he mentioned nine, uh, 21 ahadiths. He mentioned how many ahadiths? Sorry, 22 hadiths. He mentioned 22 hadiths. And there are 22 hadiths regarding facing the qibla. The first hadith is the hadith of Abu Huraira, where the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi he said to the one, Al-Musi'u Salatahu, the one who prayed his salah badly, the Prophet said, إِذَا If you stand up to the prayer, perfect your wudu. And face the qibla and say, Allahu Akbar. The hadith is narrated by Bukhari and Muslim. There's another hadith that the Prophet is narrated from him. Rifa'at ibn Rafi'in al-Zuraqi. Khalad ibn Rafi' al-Zuraqi's brother. He narrated the hadith from the Messenger that the Messenger said to his brother, إِذَا أَرَدْتَ أَن تُصَلِّيَ فَتَوَضَّأْ فَأَحْسِنْ وُضُوءَكَ ثُمَّ اسْتَقْبِلِ الْقِبْلَةَ ثُمَّ كَبِّرِ Ahmed narrated that wording. Same hadith, different wordings. The third hadith is the hadith of Amr ibn Rabi'ah. He said, رَأَيْتُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ I saw the Messenger صلى الله عليه وسلم يُصَلِّي عَلَى ظَهْرِ رَاحِلَتِهِ النَّوَافِلَ فِي كُلِّ جِهَةِ Abd Razak al-Ahmad narrated this. Amr ibn Rabi'ah, he said, I saw the Messenger praying the salah on the back of his riding beast in all directions. And this is where Sheikh Al-Albani, 
he's trying to extract from it and al-fara'idah the obligatory prayers which are dhuhr asr maghrib isha and fajr five prayers dhuhr asr dhuhr asr maghrib isha and fajr five prayers the messenger of used to face the qibla whether it be jihat al-ka'bah or aynul ka'bah he used to do that as for the voluntary prayer the messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كان إذا تطوع على راحلته he, if he was going to pray voluntary prayer on his riding beast أينما توجهت به راحلته that the qibla would be wherever his riding beast turned him to okay sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and that is the evidence for that is the prophet's action and the ayah فأينما تولوا فثم وجه الله wherever you turn your face is the, the face of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so the shaykh is getting it from that ayah that this is referring to فَأَيْنَمَا تُوَلُّوا فَثَمَّ وَجْهُ اللَّهِ is referring to صَلَاةُ النَّافِلَةِ عَلَى الدَّابَّةِ If you're facing the Qibla as you're on your riding beast and it's a voluntary prayer you can face whichever direction you uh, went Also then the author Rahimahullah he brought the hadith which is وَكَانَ أَحْيَانٍ إِذَا أَرَادَ أَنْ يَتَوَطَّعَ عَلَى نَاقَتِهِ إِسْتَقْبَلَ بِهَا الْقِبْلَةَ فَكَبَّرَ ثُمَّ صَلَّى حَيْثُ وَجَّهَاهُ رِكَابُهُ That evidence the author Rahimahullah mentioned. So the fourth evidence that the author Rahimahullah he provided is the hadith of Amr ibn Rabi'ah, right? The fourth one is also Amr, Amr ibn Rabi'ah. He said, أَنَّهُ رَأَى رَسُولُ اللَّهِ He saw the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam يُصَلِّ The Prophet was praying the Subha بِاللَّيْلِ فِي السَّفَرِ And عَلَى ظَهْرِ رَاحِلَتِهِ On the back of his riding beast حَيْثُ تَوَجَّهَتْ Wherever it faced Also Jabir ibn Abdullah narrated that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he used to pray the voluntary prayer Whilst, on his, whilst he was on his riding beast in other than the Qibla. Bukhari narrated that. Abdullah ibn Umar in 6th hadith, كَانَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهِ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَمَ يُصَلِّ عَلَىٰ رَاحِلَتِهِ حَيْثُ مَا تَوَجَّهَتْ بِهِ Muslim narrated that. Which is that the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam used to pray on his riding beast wherever they, it would make him face. The 8th hadith is hadith of Umar. That the Messenger Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam he يُصَلِّ whilst facing between Mecca to Medina on his riding beast and the ayah came down which we mentioned in Sahih Muslim all of those what do they benefit that the person can pray the obligatory prayer on what the obligatory prayer you have to face the Qibla and the voluntary prayer you can face away from the Qibla the author rahimahullah Let's summarize the previous chapter, inshaAllah ta'ala, before we move on to the Qiyam. Let's summarize it. Five points, inshaAllah ta'ala. The last chapter of facing the Qibla, the author, rahimahullah, um, five points, inshaAllah ta'ala. Point number one, if you stand up for the Salah, O Muslim, face the Kaaba, wherever you are. Number two, point number two, وَيَسْقُطُ Facing the Kaaba drops from the person um, if you're in a battle, if you are um, if you're in a battlefield and you're playing Salatul Khawf and the battle is very severe. Also the person who's unable to do so because he's sick and he's in bed, or a person who is on a aeroplane or a boat if you are scared that the time might leave or a person who's play, play or the person who's praying a voluntary prayer and the person who's praying the voluntary prayer what is recommended for that person is at the beginning they face the qibla in the takbirat al-ihram when you want to do takbirat al-ihram and then after that wherever it makes you face no problem that's point number two point number three it is obligatory ala kulli man kana mushahidan lil ka'ba everyone who can see the ka'ba that he faces it bi'ainiha in its essence you have to face aynul ka'ba the ka'ba itself as for if the person is far from the ka'ba is in another place then he faces jihatul ka'ba that's point number three Point number four. 
if a person he faces the qibla, he faces other than the qibla. Sorry, the fourth one is if a person faces other than the qibla because of um, it was very cloudy, couldn't see properly the, the the roads and everything. And then after that, it became clear for the person. Uh, you pray towards other than the qibla. And you tried hard at the beginning. And it be- then becomes clear to you after that you were wrong. The, the dust goes or the cloud and the fog is gone. You don't have to repeat that prayer again. Number five. If a person is reliable, tells you about where the qibla is and you follow that person, then you must follow where that person tells you. And your salah is sahih. That's regarding the facing of the qibla. Those are the five points that the Shaykh rahimahullah brought. He brought two ayats from the Quran and 22 evidences from the sunnah. Now we're going to move on to the next chapter, which is al-qiyam, standing up. Standing up in the prayer is obligatory if you have the ability. And there's nothing preventing you from it. And it's a pillar from the pillars of the salah. And the evidence for that is the ayah that the Shaykh brought, which is وَقُومُوا وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Stand up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That is the evidence that the author rahimahullah brought. وَقُومُوا وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ And the author rahimahullah he brought 12 evidences from the sunnah to prove standing is an obligation, it's a pillar in the salah that you must do. The ayah is the first thing he brought, which is وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Stand up for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala قَانِتِينَ The author then, rahimahullah, he said وَأَمَّا فِي السَّفَرِ فَكَانِ يُصَلِّ عَلَى رَاحِلَتِهِ النَّافِلَةِ As for when he was a traveler, he used to pray on his riding beast. And it's recommended for the people, it's recommended um, for the people when it's the when it's the Salatul Khawf is Shadid that they pray with their legs and it's standing up or in their riding beast. As Allah said, Subhanahu wa ta'ala in that which we mentioned before. If the person is unable to do so, then the Shaykh Rahimahullah has got a chapter for the one who is sick, who can't stand up. So, this chapter, what did we take? We took that the author Rahimahullah, he used one ayah from the Quran. And he used 12 hadiths in this chapter. One ayah from the Quran which is وَقُومُوا لِلَّهِ قَانِتِينَ Stand, pray to Allah standing up. And then the author rahimahullah, he mentioned 12 hadiths to support that standing up is obligatory and it's a pillar from the salah. Also, what is taken is that the standing is only a must for the person who has the ability to do so. The one who doesn't have the ability, it's, he's excused. And the author is going to speak about the excuse that that person has. The author, rahimahullah, The author, rahimahullah, he now goes into Salatul Maridhi Jalisan, the prayer of an ill person while sitting down. So we talked about Istiqbalul Qibla, facing the Qibla. And that's the first thing a person needs to do. And then we spoke about the person standing up to pray. And then he spoke, we spoke about that. And now we're speaking about the ill person praying whilst they are sitting down. That they are uh, sitting down. The author, rahimahullah, he brings six hadiths to support the permissibility of the person 
to pray the salah whilst they are sick. Yani sitting down to pray whilst you're sick. Okay? There are a couple of ahkam that the author rahimahullah spoke about and we're going to mention them inshallah ta'ala. The author spoke about in this chapter couple of issues. Number one, issue number one. He spoke about ahkam. We're going to mention a couple of them. Number one, that a person, and al musalli ida kana la yastati'u al qiyam, a person is unable to stand up. Lahu an yusalliya qa'idan. You are allowed to sit down to pray. And he brought the evidence for the hadith of Imran ibn al Hussein. This hadith shows the permissibility of the salah of a Muslim if he is unable to stand up. Okay? The second thing that this chapter, the author Rahimullah points out is the prayer, the voluntary prayer, sitting down even if you have the ability to stand up. A person wants to pray a voluntary prayer. He sits down even, he ha- even though he has the ability to stand up. He has the ability to stand up. Um, then the author Rahimullah mentioned that that person, he gets uh, no harm for doing so but the complete reward is not there. Yani you're going to get half of the reward of the person standing up. Those are the two main points that the author here talks about. The first one is the permissibility of the one who is sick to pray lying down. Uh, sitting down, sorry. Sitting down. The person cannot stand up. The Prophet said to Imran Hussein, Salli qa'iman. Fa'illam faqa'idan. Stand up and pray. I can't. Okay, sit down. He spoke about that first ruling. If you're unable to do so. We're talking about the obligatory prayer where you have to stand up. The second point that the author Rahimullah discussed here is someone is praying a sunnah prayer. Okay? Someone is praying a what? A sunnah prayer. And this sunnah prayer that you're praying, you want to sit down for it. You're allowed to. But what's going to happen? You're going to get half of the reward of the one who's standing up. So a person, the whole Qiyamul Layl, Ramadan, Taraweeh, he doesn't stand up. He always sits down. He's allowed to do that. Because the Qiyam, Taraweeh, is a voluntary prayer. But he gets half of the reward of the people who are standing. And the author mentioned the hadith for that. Man salla qa'iman fa afdalu. The one who stands up praying is better. Wa man salla qa'idan fa nisfu ajrul qa'imi. He gets half of the reward of the one who is um, standing. Those are the two things that the author, rahimahullah, had mentioned in this chapter. Okay, he mentioned those two. So, I repeat, the author Rahimahullah, he had provided in this chapter six evidences, six dalil that are in here. You can all see, inshallah ta'ala. The second thing that I mentioned is that the author Rahimahullah spoke about is standing, sorry, sitting down when you're unable to stand up in an obligatory prayer. That this is permissible and the evidence for it is the hadith of Imran al Hussein. The second thing that the author Rahimullah spoke about here, the third, second thing he spoke about, which it makes it a third point, is that a voluntary prayer, you are allowed to sit down, but you get half of the reward of the person who is uh, standing. Naam. So we'll stop there, inshallah ta'ala. No, let's mention this one as well. Let's mention this one. The author, rahimahullah, in this uh, place, he mentions um, he mentions um, the hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, where he was asked about praying uh, in the um, ship. There are two things that the author Rahimullah discusses here. Write this down. Two things. The author discusses two things. <coughs> the first thing is Anal Musalya Ida Salla ala Markabin Mutaharikin Fayajuzula in Yusalya Ali. A person, if he's praying on a um, If a person is praying on a ship, 
that is moving, it is permissible for them to pray in it. If a person is on a ship that is moving, you're allowed to pray on it. Whether it's an obligatory prayer or a voluntary prayer, it doesn't matter. <clears throat> whatever it is, whether it's a ship or an aeroplane, it doesn't matter. Whether you're flying in the air or whether you're on the ocean and the sea, it doesn't matter. And scholars, they mention even if it's a car that won't stop, that can't stop, also falls under the same ruling. You're on a coach, they won't stop it for you. You also take the same ruling. The, that's the first point that the author Rahimullah mentions. The, that's the first hukum that he mentions. Sah? Mm-hmm. The second one is أَنَّهُ يَجُوزُ لِلْمُصَلِّي It is permissible for the person أَنْ يَتَّخِذَ عُودًا أَوْ عَصًا يَعْتَمِدُ عَلَيْهَا it is permissible for the person to take a stick or an object which he holds onto whilst praying. That's what the author mentions. The author used a qiyas here. That when the messenger became old, what did, he take? what did he take? He took a stick that he used to hold onto in the middle of the salah. So if someone's very old, they can use their stick in the salah. The author said you can also do that in the, uh, the aeroplane. Or on the, uh, on the, or on the ship, you can hold on to something. You can get a stick or an object and use that. That's the second thing that the author, Rahimullah, spoke about. Um, you're allowed to do that. Um, we will stop there, inshallah, ta'ala.